Welcome to the Imagine Podcast, where we talk about everything your nonprofit or social enterprise is wondering about, from marketing, fundraising, and building your organization's capacity to champion the causes you care about. The Imagine Podcast is brought to you by ImaginePod, a coaching accelerator for women-led social impact organizations. At ImaginePod, our mission is to democratize fundraising and marketing resources for diverse-led nonprofits and social enterprises. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Imagine Podcast. I am really excited about this episode because I was able to talk with Julian Gomez, who is the short-form video editor for Johnny Harris, who is an award-winning video journalist that has over 3.4 million subscribers on YouTube and, of course, hundreds of thousands of followers across social media platforms. And Julian is the one who's helping to create the content that you see on YouTube Shorts and TikTok and Instagram Reels and other places. But Julian also has a really interesting background because he has worked for other social impact focused organizations, including several nonprofits. And he has helped to actually build one organization's TikTok from zero to over a million. So I thought that he might have some really interesting strategic insight for nonprofits of any size that really want to understand how they might use short form video storytelling and specifically do it to build a base of supporters or donors or for social impact companies that really want to understand how they can build their mission and their brand from short form channels. So it was really fun to talk with him. We started talking about his childhood first to really understand why he got interested in video. Then we talked about his incredible career and him really building up his expertise in understanding how to produce and edit video really well. And then to where he is today working with Johnny Harris and what it looks like to really help build a brand to that level online. But one of the fun things that I did was I gave him an experiment where I asked him to imagine that he had to take over a nonprofit's TikTok account that maybe had like zero followers and asked him what he would do to build it up. And he gave me some really helpful steps and methods that he said he would use to build a nonprofit's TikTok channel. And I think that that is actually going to be really helpful for you all who want to understand what it is you want to do with those types of platforms for your organization and exactly what would it take to be able to build it up and perhaps give you a really solid foundation and a strategy to use moving forward. So if that sounds like something that's helpful for you, make sure you take out a pen and a pad and start taking some notes. Here we go. Enjoy. Hello, Julian Gomez. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk with you. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes. Before we dive into some of the specifics of your career success around video content and community engagement on social media, I thought it would be great to first dive into talking about the journey you've been on in your career. Starting from the beginning, tell us a little bit about where you started and then what along the way made you so interested in really mastering video production, editing, and engagement in particular? Sure. I really track it back to probably 2007 when I was 14. I don't know if that makes you sound young or old. I guess it depends on the audience. But I was really inspired by John and Hank Green's Vlog Brothers channel. Basically, they had this project called Brotherhood 2.0. 
where for a whole year, they made a video every weekday directed at each other. And basically just like standard video blogs. This was one of the first vlogging channels on YouTube. They're inspired by Zay Frank. She made vlogs before YouTube was a thing <laughs> on a different platform. They basically just made videos back and forth to each other, not really thinking about having an audience or anything. And about like six months into that, my sister and I stumbled across one of their videos and we're like, oh, they're regularly making videos. That's the first channel that I can remember of as like a channel on YouTube and like subscribing and stuff. My sister and I are like, oh, let's make a channel ourselves. We're siblings. So we made channels modeled around that and said it didn't make any sense because one, we didn't have that many life experiences or just say things to say, because I was 14 and she was 17. And we lived in the same house, unlike John and Hank, who <laughs> lived in different states and, you know, didn't talk to each other every day. They only talked to each other through the videos, which is what made it interesting. But I really got into the vlogging format and the community that was building around videos on YouTube back then. There were so few channels that you could consider YouTube itself a community. Rather, now it's like, well, there's thousands of channels. So like YouTube itself is a platform and it's not really a community of, you know, people. It's like, there's more niche communities that at the time, I don't know that I was thinking, I want to do this for a living. Monetization didn't exist yet on YouTube. They hadn't launched that. I think maybe had just been acquired by Google at the time or like shortly after, but I basically made a ton of videos for a few years starting when I was like 14 and got to make a bunch of terrible videos that were really poorly produced and edited on Windows Movie Maker and stuff. And that was basically my trial run of learning what worked, what I wanted to talk about and all of that. And then in high school, I started volunteering for this organization that at the time was called the Harry Potter Alliance. They've since changed their name to Fandom Forward. But as their original name might imply, they were a nonprofit that used the Harry Potter fandom and story to tackle real world issues. They had like literacy programs and human rights campaigns. And so I, first I started working for them, or not working, it was purely volunteer, but I was in their social media team and I was doing tweets and stuff for them. Then eventually me and two other HPA staff members, Kelly and Jack, started making video blogs. It was like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We made videos about things that related to Harry Potter and whatever campaigns we were working on at the time. That's where I really started understanding video as a powerful tool to engage people in things that they're interested in, but also all set action. Specifically at the time when I was starting to apply to colleges, I was thinking, I think I want to create videos for nonprofits after I graduate, because I didn't see that many other organizations using video that well. And it was still a nascent thing, YouTube. I wanted to do that. I went off and studied filmmaking in school. I don't know that the college part was super necessary, but in terms of meeting people, it was good. From there, I went to American University in DC and I worked for a company called Mean Green Media. Mostly they were a post-production house for political ads. Then I graduated and I went to work for an organization called The Fine American. They're a nonprofit that focuses on immigrant justice. And I had a connection somehow through the HPA with Jose Antonio Vargas because I made a Harry Potter Alliance video about Jose and Define American's mission at some point and got linked up with them. So I was friends with Jose. 
And he basically texted me and was like, hey, do you want to work for us? I was like, sure. I just graduated college. The only thing is that it wasn't for video. I started off on their social media team and then somehow ended up running their chapters program and did that for like three years, sort of a diversion from the video production side for somewhere like 60 chapters around the country of students using the power of storytelling to make change around immigrant justice. From there, that's how I ended up working at Minute Earth and they're a YouTube channel that makes short science videos that are digitally drawn, but sort of looks like hand drawings. I was a writer and director for their videos and narrated videos as well. That's when I moved to being like full-time video creator. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And so I thought it would be great for us to focus on your time at Minute Earth, because that's when you started to dive right back into video production and thinking about how you could use that to really build an audience. I think it's incredible that you were able to take an account from zero to a million, even though they had already had an audience base on other platforms. It's still such a huge feat. And I think there's so many people that that's like that big mystery, especially when they're thinking about, okay, I need to take my organization on to these platforms and I need to build an audience, but how do you even do that? So could you talk a little bit about your time there? What was it like producing and editing the content? I know that you were really heavily involved in most of it. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the successes, the stats, the people that you were able to work with, some incredible influencers, things like that, so we can kind of get a sense for what does that even look like to do that? Yeah. When I first joined Minute Earth, they didn't have a TikTok account yet, and they were all, it's weird to call it long form videos because they were not longer than four minutes. They're called Minute Earth for a reason. So I joined as a writer director for their longer videos or just regular YouTube videos. At the time, TikTok was starting to become a thing. <laughs> Essentially, this was maybe like four years ago. Um, I was at Minerva for three years. I left January of last year, so January of 2022. And basically, TikTok created a like educate educational creators fund because they wanted to attract educational channels to TikTok. They had the brand of being like just a bunch of people randomly doing dances and stuff which I think people still attribute a little bit of that to TikTok, but they wanted to attract people who were creating educational content. And I think they had funds for other types of content, but with that fund, they gave a motivation for creators that were already creating high quality content on YouTube to move over and try this new thing, TikTok. And so Minitearth is one of the first people, our first creators on there. And I seemed interested in being a part of that. So. I basically got put in charge of the account. Uh, I didn't even have a TikTok account. <laughs> I had to create one because it was now part of my job to be on TikTok. And so I started to learn a little bit about what it was like. And, you know, we tried all sorts of different videos at first. The thing about Minute Earth is that it's kind of a lot of time that goes into the videos because there's writers and directors, and then there's the actual illustration part. The illustration part takes a really long time. So it's kind of a big commitment to make even these videos that were maybe like a minute long or shorter because it took a lot of like illustration time. And then the other thing that was easy was to say, hold on, we had dozens and dozens of videos going back several years on YouTube. 
why don't we add these <laughs> basically into videos that weren't for TikTok? And so that was one of the most successful things, especially because the videos were already created in trying to condense a lot of information to a short amount of time. Uh, when I was on Internet, we called it the science moment. Everybody had the science moment, even though the whole video was about science. There's like one moment in the video that explains some core science thing. <laughs> and that actually turned out to be perfect for cutting that bit out and making it into a TikTok. I mean, I, there are certain things that we picked up on that did particularly well. One of the early things was we made a video <laughs> that was like, this duck has an extremely long penis, which got like 27 million views or something like that. I guess people want to learn about animal penises that are weird. So we literally made several videos about that, which is weird because it was like weird tension where TikTok kept muting the videos because they were getting flagged or whatever. But we're like, this is actually educational science content and we don't even have real images. It's all illustrated. So it was this weird back and forth where people were watching millions of people were watching these but they kept getting taken down and we had to like contact tiktok back when that was a thing it's really hard to contact anyone on tiktok <laughs> even if you have millions of followers but yeah you know people like weird shocking things and we were able to use that information to teach people science facts not just about genitalia <laughs> but i mean i think that is one of the things though that even tiktok themselves at the beginning told us like, Hey, by the way, what we've seen is successful with channels is they find one thing that works and they just do that one thing over and over again. We didn't exactly do that. It's like, we didn't want to do that. That wasn't interesting to us, but it is true that a lot of channels have success <clears throat> doing that. They find one thing that went viral and then they just do iterations of that over and over again. I do think that is a strategy that is not useful long-term. But it can be helpful in the short term to build up an audience while you're trying to create a more long-term strategy of what to do next from there. But yeah, I, I learned a lot from working at Minitearth and, and leading their TikTok channel of how TikTok works, essentially. I think that there's some things I'm gleaning from that, like the ability to very easily create some intrigue, it sounds like works really well on TikTok. And just kind of thinking about the psychology of that in terms of maybe like the title and what you lead with potentially does well. I think that's one thing that's so interesting for especially social impact organizations. When you talk about that tension of like, what is really our strategy and does that align with our ultimate goal and also our values as an organization is our goal just to be going viral or just to build up an audience just to have it. And maybe it adds some credibility in a sense, or is the goal that we're really reaching certain or specific types of people who are really going to actually care about the real work we do and the impact we're making, and then potentially actually take action, like maybe become donors or maybe become activists, like signing petitions, calling legislators, doing things that takes a lot of effort. And you're trying to get people who are just like scrolling on a platform to potentially really be invested in a way into that type of work. I think that's one thing that I hear a lot from organizations, even just a lot of people struggling. You know, we're talking about people in comms roles that are marketing focused and they're all about it, but they still struggle 
with what are the ethics even behind us having a TikTok account, especially when we do know ultimately there are a lot of drawbacks to society with having these types of social platforms, the leadership of some of them, and also just kind of thinking about like, is it okay to be trying to get people to take action or distilling information on such very complex issues in society in like 60 seconds, you know, is that kind of problematic? How much context is okay to leave out and, you know, all that stuff. So there's a lot of complexity for more nonprofit or social impact focused brands, I think. But I think it's so helpful to see when we are thinking about creating content, we do know that if we can try to think of hooks that are intriguing, understanding why people are on the platform in the first place and try to cater our content to that, optimizing it for that initially, while still staying true to our values as an organization and the ultimate goal, which isn't necessarily just to get millions of views, but to have a good supporter base that can be both informed by us and then also be engaging with us and taking actions that are going to impact the world in some substantial way, you know. And I think like you mentioned comms, people tackling short form video, and we're talking about TikTok, but really my role now with uh, Johnny Harris's channel is short form video producer and we create things in the TikTok format, like vertical video that is, you know, roughly a minute long, but it's not just posted to TikTok, it's also posted to Instagram Reels and to YouTube Shorts. I really don't think that much anymore of these videos as like TikTok videos, so much as I think of them as this format of video, and it's sort of like a platform agnostic type of video. I agree that there's a lot of problematic things about TikTok, not least being that you don't know what random thing is going to be censored in a video. And I know that can be particularly challenging for organizations that tackle issues that might be seen as more sensitive issues, you know. Uh, well, pretty much anything, because <laughs> like if you tackle anything that's political or like it might have to do with something sexual or, you know, war or, right. you know, violence or anything like that, which organizations are usually on the side of helping people who are victims and all of these things, or just, you know, navigating situations or whatever, but if some random algorithm or whoever leads <laughs> TikTok decides that these are issues that they don't want on their platform then yeah, that can definitely be a challenge for organizations. I mean, we kind of had that with Johnny Harris. He is a journalist, really, and he covers a lot of geopolitical stuff. And sometimes video topics very clearly are being censored in the way that like, oh, one video might have hundreds of thousands of views. And then this one, like no one is seeing, no one is being shown this video. He has hundreds of thousands of followers on TikTok, but this video only has 5,000 views or something. And a series of videos on birth control. And that was a really difficult one because we kept having to be careful with which words we use and stuff. And then, you know, that doesn't feel right. The other, like, aside from that, it's interesting, a lot of things that as a YouTube first video creator, I had to unlearn because on YouTube, it's very intentional. Once someone is on your video, they made a decision to watch that video. YouTube thumbnails and titles are so important. It's like everyone's obsessed with the title and thumbnail. Sometimes almost more than the actual content of the video, which is not great. But, you know, the thing that gets you to click on the video is the title and thumbnail. That's what people see first. And then they click on the video and they watch the video. And the first 30 seconds of the video has to deliver on the thing that got you to click on it. But they've already made the decision to watch it. Meanwhile, 
for a short form video, whatever platform it is, whether it's Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, or TikTok, people open it up and a video shows up and then they can either scroll past it or watch it. They're not really making a decision to watch it. It just starts playing. And so all the other stuff goes out the window. Like the caption doesn't really work as a title because most people don't read the caption. Like first, they might read it after the video is done or while the video is playing, they're like, oh, there's a caption here. Let me see what it says. So it's really just the first like two seconds of the video or you know, maybe even less than that is going to tell people whether they should keep watching or not. So even starting a video with a pause can be like, well, people are just going to scroll past that. <laughs> you didn't even get to say anything yet. You haven't even started talking yet and people scroll past it. So that was something very interesting to learn coming from the YouTube side of things where thumbnail and title were so important where it's like the hook is really super important in these videos. So that is definitely something to be thinking about. Like, what is the first thing you're saying? Just get into the meat of whatever story you're trying to tell or say something or show something. It doesn't have to be something that you're saying. It could just be in something that grabs people's attention. Like basically, like what you're trying to do is stop the scroll. <laughs> you're just scrolling. You have to show something or say something that is interesting enough or shocking enough or funny enough or whatever. It elicits some sort of emotion that stops you from scrolling. And then obviously from there, you have to continue earning their attention. But it is so different from if someone's clicked a video and they already know what the video is going to be about. And you have a little more leeway in the first few seconds to like introduce the topic or whatever, whatever it is. If you start a TikTok video saying, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. And I work for blah, blah, blah organization. It's like, okay, that's already five seconds of your video. <laughs> if no one knows what this organization is or who you are, then like they probably already scrolled away. So that is a really difficult thing. I mean, I do think that you can make videos that provide value to people that are less than, you know, 60 seconds long or so. Whether that value is like entertainment or literally just saying a thing that someone didn't know before, you know, teaching them something or getting them into a funnel that will broaden their understanding of the topic or whatever. Just because something is shorter doesn't necessarily mean that there's no value to it. It's sort of like the video version of like Twitter, you know, some people don't like to view TikTok or YouTube shorts as a funnel for other things. Audiences specifically really shun that. If, if it's really obvious that you're just making this video because you're trying to get them somewhere else, like the thing that you really care about, they're going to scroll away because they're not there to be advertised to or whatever. They just want to watch interesting stuff. That doesn't mean that you can't build a community on this platform and then they will, of their own volition, want to learn more and they will create their own call to action. It's very different from ending every single video, for example, with a call to action like donate or, you know, go to our website and find out more. First of all, the algorithm for any of these platforms is going to not show your video if you're getting people to click off of their platform because they optimize for watch time and keeping people on their app. Second of all, people don't want to feel like they're being even advertised to, but like, oh, that was just the ploy to get me to do a thing. And if people really like are interested in your videos and this little community that you're building on this platform, they'll be like, hold on, let me click on this person's profile. Let me learn. I want to know more about what they do and what this organization does. 
it's so hard, I think, as a comms person for an organization, thinking back to I ran social media for a couple of nonprofits and call to actions or the thing, like how are we going to include the CTA here? And what should the donate button look like? And, you know, should we say learn more or like uh, sign this petition or what should the button say? Like a lot of optimizing for that stuff. And this is, it's completely opposite to what you're supposed to be doing on short form video platforms. And it's really hard. I feel like to ignore that, especially at the beginning, because you're not going to get instant success for the most part. You're not just going to suddenly see, oh, this video that we made at this account is drawing a bunch of people to their website to donate. It's very different from that. It's much more analogous to like a random billboard for Coca-Cola or whatever. Coca-Cola has no way of knowing what the metrics of that billboard is and how many bottles of Coca-Cola it sold, but it's part of the larger brand, you know, keeping that alive or whatever. And this could actually be the introduction probably for a lot of people to your brand or in your case, your nonprofit or organization. And if you make it interesting enough and funny or entertaining or like people learn something, then you have to give people the benefit of the doubt on their own. They're going to want to find out more and eventually find their way over to it is you want to lead them to from there. It's hard to not always have those metrics and not being able to say, we got a million views and that converted to X amount of donors or X amount of petitions were signed, or we got this many volunteers to show up. And sometimes you can make those connections, but for the most part, you have to think of this as one of the things you do to inform people that you exist at all. And, and entrance into what you do and what you're about. And especially what the people who work for your organization or volunteer or whatever are impacted by who they are, because these are very people first um, platforms and you're not going to get anywhere if you're just putting up logos and stuff or like a B-roll footage or something for the most part, probably not going to go anywhere. But anyway, I'm rambling now. But no, but that's so good because I'm, I was just sitting over here laughing so hard because when you were talking about like, it's so true how nonprofits actually do things this way. They're very much like, what's the CTA and, you know, optimizing for interesting things that I think what you're talking about when it comes to just the value of building a brand and being able to build an audience outside of necessarily tracking how many like donors, for example, you got. Yeah, what's the right on this link for donation on our email? Yeah. <laughs> and it's also interesting because at ImaginePod, we teach people how to build funnels and we want organizations to be thinking about the journey is how I would say it. Like the tool for relationship building that is digital, which is you are having to introduce yourself to a person who maybe doesn't know about you or even the work or the cause or the issue, the problem. And you have to create content that brings in cold audiences and then eventually moves them in a way that's like a funnel to now really following you, supporting you, taking actions, being all about you and all of that. But I think it's also worth understanding the value of really having the brand and the long-term relationship building that happens. And this is something that for-profits think about just as much as I think nonprofits need to think about because it's not just about, like I think with funnel mentality, oftentimes when we think about tracking data and understanding what's the ROI, and all of those things, we get so caught up in very short-term, like campaign-focused types of strategies where it's like, well, it didn't produce certain things, so it wasn't successful. Or, 
you know, it was successful because we saw this many people do a certain action. But longer term, if you had kept content continuing to go, and maybe if the campaign wasn't just for a month, I mean, there's so many organizations we work with where they'll work on a campaign for such a short amount of time. And one of the things we always tell them is, well, it's really a best practice that you would just continue doing this kind of stuff. It's just kind of strange to like stop and start, stop and start. The platforms don't really work that way. So it's not as effective anyway. And then also, if you're going to put in the work and the effort, it's like, why don't you just make this a part of how you build relationships with your supporters and donors, where you're continuing to put out great value? It shouldn't just be because you're trying to, like you said, get them to this other place, this other page where they're going to do a thing. I think that is something that is so hard because nonprofits have short budgets and oftentimes they're totally under-resourced and don't have the capacity. So when they're thinking about campaigns, it's like, well, we're just doing this for this season. And then we have all of our comms people have to work on programmatic stuff now, you know, because they're not even having the capacity to really build it out. I think that's one of the major issues. But the more organizations can think about, like, this is just the best practice for us making sure that the world knows we exist and they understand about the issue. Like that's our mission is making sure people know this is a thing that they understand. They have context. We've given, you know, enough resources and data to know that people understand this. And we've been doing this for such a long time. Like to be able to say that I think is one of the valuable things around social media and using these types of platforms anyway. So that is one thing that we talk about a lot. And even for ImaginePod for ourselves, as you know, we've started really trying to invest a lot more in video. And we're committed for doing this for years to come. Our strategy is not like, well, we're going to do it for a couple of weeks. And if we don't really see an uptick in followers or whatever, then we're not going to keep going. No, our purpose is that we do the best we can to provide value and distribute that because that's a part of our mission. We're in it to build relationships and we're in it to make sure that we put enough out there to really be able to be with people where they're at. So that might mean that people follow you because they're kind of interested, but they don't take an action yet. Does it mean they won't maybe next year? You've got to keep being there for them to be able to have the conversation with you and remember that you're there and keep adding value and doing all those things, you know, because they're real people, even though it's always so impressive to say, oh, zero to a million subscribers, but like they're real human beings, right? So yeah, I think that's an interesting kind of perspective. And I, I think specifically for nonprofits, something that they do need to think about and understand, you know, what is the real reason why we're doing this? It's not just so that we can get conversions really quickly and then know that something was successful and be done. It's so that we can have another avenue for building long-term relationships and brand awareness so that over a longer period of time, we have enough people taking action. Yeah. That one of the ways that I really love thinking about this sort of like terminology that Colin and Samir, I think, came up with, or they use it a lot at least. Colin and Samir, they're YouTubers who make videos basically about the creator economy and helping creators. They interview a lot of creators and stuff. They talk about depth versus width. And so like thinking about decisions and things that they do or like specific videos about whether this is creating depth or width. So, I mean, some things that you are doing are about creating a deeper connection with your existing audience and your community and people who already know and care about you. And this is not about like getting a bunch of views and going viral. This is just creating a deeper connection with the people who already care. And that might be like 
a behind the scenes type of video where you don't really care about the behind the scenes of this campaign if you don't already know about the campaign for the most part, or like, how do they make that video or how do they do this or that? Those are the people who already care and plugged in and then bringing in new people. So this is a thing that is made specifically to reach a broader audience and people who don't already know about us. And it may add value or entertain people who already know about you, but that's not the purpose of it. And like, it is really helpful for me to think about that. And not every video that is created is about reaching the biggest audience possible. And like, that's not always helpful even, especially in terms of if you're an organization if you're reaching a huge audience, but that audience is not engaging on a deeper level at all. And they're just like, this is one of the million things they saw today and they moved on from it. It doesn't stick in their head at all, but it was just like, well, that was shocking. And so they watched the whole thing or, or they liked it. And so more people will see it. But yeah, depth is more like you have a video that has a million people that watched it, but nothing came from that. Not many of them followed the account. You didn't notice any increase in other things like signups for your newsletter or people engaging in a campaign or even leaving thoughtful comments on the video. But then you may have another video that got like 10,000 people who saw it. Of those 10,000, there's a hundred people who really got the message and acted on it in some smaller, big way. And so even though those numbers get posted like right in your face all the time, this is how many views this video has, this is how many likes this video has, this is how many comments this video has, obviously especially if you're an organization, that's not necessarily going to be your most important thing. Maybe on an individual level, like a comms person is like, awesome. I got to tell my boss that I got a video that got a million views. <laughs> like I've been there, right? But you have to think about like, well, what was the purpose of this video? Was the purpose of this video to get more eyeballs in front of an organization? Or was the purpose of this video to get the people who are already following us and already know about us? to learn about this new thing that we're doing or like understand a little better about what we do or learn about how they can participate. Those are all things that like, if you make a video about how you can volunteer or whatever, like it's not going to go viral <laughs> unless there's some very interesting packaging around that. And like, you happen to be able to explain to people that you can volunteer for an organization or whatever. For the most part, those videos might not have that many, many eyeballs, but sometimes that's not really the point. <laughs> so yeah, really like thinking about that depth versus width thing. And that gets not just for specific videos, it's about any decision that you might make thinking about it. Like, okay, am I doing this to get more people to like click the sign up button or to just view this thing? Or am I getting this to engage our existing audience and keep their interests? Because if you're only making things all the time to get more attention and then the people who already are like, okay, we're paying attention are like, okay, this is the same messaging over and over again. I want to know more. Obviously they're not going to be thinking that actually, but they might lose interest in your videos in this case, if they're just seeing the thing that got their attention in the first place, but they're not seeing anything deeper than that, which is a fine line because obviously there are things that. Uh, generate a lot of attention and you're going to want to keep doing those things. It's not one or the other, but you have to pay attention to once you get people to follow you, how do you get them to the next step? And that's a journey thing that you're talking about. Like creating video is part of the journey, but also some people stay in that part of the journey for a while. 
you want to continue to keep their attention. Otherwise you may see an account that has a million followers, but like all the videos have a thousand views or whatever. They had some sort of big viral hit at some point. They got them a bunch of followers potentially. They haven't been able to keep those people engaged in what they're continuing to do. But I liked what you said about being in this for the long haul. That is one of the things that has been the most difficult for me as a video creator, especially on my independent stuff. It's like, I have the kind of brain that wants to see instant success <laughs> and like, ah, I made this thing that I think is really good. Why isn't everyone immediately like subscribing or, or whatever? And it's really hard to just keep putting stuff out and keep doing it, even if you're not immediately seeing success and obviously iterating based on their feedback that you do start to get or things that you might notice because it can be a really long journey. Some people do have overnight success. Like they put something up and it goes viral and they're able to take advantage of that. But for most people, it's going to be very incremental growth and not just like viral video after viral video. You'll slowly start to see your numbers creep up, especially think in the space that we're in where, you know, every video is not going to be like an interesting dance or like viral challenge or something, <laughs> you know, unless you're doing like that ice bucket challenge or whatever, but like not every video is going to be an ice bucket challenge type of video. Hey there, you need more donors, members, and supporters so you can change the world. But you probably feel like you don't have the time, money, or enough team members to actually do that, right? That's where we come in. We are ImaginePod, a marketing accelerator for social impact teams like yours that coaches you through the process of building donor and customer loyalty without burnout. Because we use all the fun and innovative methods for helping you learn how to grow like give you accountability and office hour sessions so you have the space to implement the things you're learning built right into our accelerator program, as well as access to a mastermind group with peer-to-peer -peer learning with aligned social impact leaders from around the world, across sectors, causes, and even continents. And we ditched all the traditional stuff that just doesn't work well for small and under-resourced teams, like boring seminars with long slide deck presentations, or 80-page strategy documents, for example. Plus, we're on a mission to democratize marketing and fundraising resources with an intentional focus on women and BIPOC-led and serving organizations, which is just one of the reasons why we donate a percentage of the profits from this accelerator program to support their causes. So are you one of those leaders? Then you're our people. Why don't you go ahead and hop on a call with us? We'd love to meet you and help you change the world. Talk soon. Yeah, it, it is really important to not give up right away if you're not immediately successful. I do think it is important for me to say, you know, Minute Earth, for example, we had an audience on YouTube and we were able to jumpstart a little bit the growth on TikTok because some of those people came over. Or like we already had videos that had millions of views on YouTube, so we knew that people liked them. And so Perfect. we made like a version of that for TikTok, probably people would like them, you know? So there is a little bit of that, but also the vast majority of those million followers on Minute Earth, I think did not know that Minute Earth had a YouTube channel because it was a totally different audience. Like even looking at the analytics, it skewed more heavily female, which is a holy grail for a science YouTube channel. Most science YouTube channels, even ones like ours who had at least one female narrator, 
And fortunately, most science YouTube channels skew heavily male, and it's for some reason hard to get the audience, whether it's because the platform, <laughs> like the algorithm is skewed and things that more males will like this or whatever. But so that was like a totally different audience that we had on TikTok. So we're like, okay, well, this is different. And obviously a younger audience too. And we definitely got comments of people being like, wait, hold on. There's a YouTube channel. <laughs> There's more of this. We went from zero to a million followers in a year. But part of it is because we already were video creators going from one video platform to another video platform. Video isn't all that you do and you start from scratch, like you're not necessarily going to go from zero to a million, but you might <laughs> look at all yeah. the things what you're able to do. And like, I guess we can get into that a little bit, but I do think it is important, especially for nonprofits or especially for local nonprofits to lean heavily into the trends because okay. that's what platforms are built around the funny audios and lip syncing and all that stuff, being vulnerable enough on camera to do that is like already creating a connection with people, even if you feel incredibly silly, but it's also like, that's what the platform is as core, it creates cultural moments. You're sort of getting to ride on those cultural waves just by being on the platform. People are already like, oh, I'm going to watch this video because it's another one of those type of trend video. And so you already don't have to give people a reason to watch your video. Whereas on YouTube, they might be like, well, like, am I interested in this topic? Who the heck is this person? What is this organization? On TikTok, people might be like, I really like this trend. This audio is hilarious. And if yours comes up, they might be like, oh, this is another one of these that I, that I usually enjoy, even if they have no idea who you are or your organization is or whatever. And then you work your organization into the trend in some way. Definitely, I would not shy away from that. And it seems like, like obviously, do this thing. But seriously, like, I think that one thing that I've really noticed in a lot of organizations that just makes me get so annoyed is, and even before TikTok or whatever, is like the organizations using video platforms as a repository for any random video thing that they may have created. Like, oh, here's an hour long recording of an event that we did or whatever that we happened to record. They just put it up there and it's like, who's going to watch this? Like maybe someone who was at the event, like this is not made for this platform. You're just using this as like a hard drive, but public, you know, and the title is super boring and the thumbnail is randomly generated, or it looks like a PowerPoint slide title page or something like that. And it's the same thing. I think on TikTok, you can't just make a video version of an email newsletter that you sent out because you really have to package stuff and, and develop the idea for something based on the platform that you're sharing it to. It's important to do that. And it's a, honestly a waste of time. Even if you already have a video to upload it to YouTube, it's like a waste of your time and energy. If that is not something that is going to be interesting to anyone. And honestly, it can make your channel or profile look bad for when you do post something good, especially on YouTube. But this can be true for TikTok too. Say you make a video that's really entertaining on YouTube and People go to your profile. I do this a lot. I click on the profile and see what other videos I have before I decide to subscribe a lot of the times. And if I click on a nonprofit's YouTube channel, because I saw a video that was pretty entertaining, and then I see that they regularly post unedited Zoom calls that they had informing people about something or like interviewing someone, but it's unedited, just 
bland title, whatever, not like the most interesting moments or highlights or whatever. They regularly post stuff like that. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to follow these people. I don't want the like cluttering my subscriptions feed or like in TikTok's version. If they only once in a while post something that's interesting to me, <laughs> but most of the time post really boring stuff or stuff that it's like completely not relevant to the platform, then I'm not going to follow them because I'm trying to curate my feed here. And also like TikTok, honestly, and YouTube and Instagram, if their algorithm is working correctly, even if someone follows you, that's not enough of a signal for your videos to continue to be suggested. If all the other videos that you make are not as engaging or like the kind of video that works well on the platform, which may sound counterintuitive to what I talked about earlier with depth versus width, but that's a separate thing. Even the videos that are creating depth still have to be like native video to the platform and not just something that you very clearly took from somewhere else or, you know, script that was written for a speech or whatever it is. <laughs> and then you just throw up on TikTok because, hey, we have a TikTok we may as well, and this is a video. We may as well put it on there. Like, you know, <laughs> don't do that, please. It hurts. It hurts to see that. Exactly. Yeah. And that's really helpful for you to give us some strategic advice on <laughs> what not to do that you do see often with organizations. And it is just because they have that thought of like, well, we should be on that platform anyway, and we've got this video. But it's much better, like you said, to be thinking specifically, what about this platform does well? And what is our real goal for this platform? And how do we want to utilize it for our overall messaging? So I thought it might be fun to kind of give you an experiment. Let's say I gave you the task of taking over a TikTok account for a small nonprofit that works in their local community. Okay, so let's say maybe something like an after-school program, like a boys and girls club kind of thing. So it's very local. It's very focused on a very specific type of community, and they want to be able to produce some short form video that might help them get more awareness in their community from those who are donors, right? Maybe some people who are really concerned about the city's homelessness issue or education or other larger issues that they see as adults, but they realize that a more upstream solution could be that we do more for kids and their community. What are some of the strategies or the tactics that you might implement and why? Totally. Well, one of the things that is very interesting about the younger audiences on these platforms, sometimes like if you're, if you're so sincere to a point of you're just creating a video that's hilariously like not how this platform works, it can almost turn into like an ironic thing. Like there's so many random old people, you know, like 80 year olds making videos who have gone viral and stuff. And that same thing does kind of go for like just a random local community. Like you have whoever is like actually on the ground working with these kids or whatever every day do a TikTok trend. And it's going to be incredibly cringe and hard to watch. And you're going to be like, why would anyone like this? That's the kind of thing that ends up going viral. Like these people are trying to do this dance or to try and do this trend or whatever. That's one thing. And you can't just bank on that being a thing. But I would be like, who are the characters in this local organization that might be entertaining two people on these platforms? I have a very hard time watching cringe content, but apparently people love that on TikTok. I don't know. But 
Yeah, I mean, it's basically what I said before. I would lean heavily into things that are trending and work your messaging into it. And it's actually quite easy to do because there's literally formats where you just have to fill in the blanks <laughs> of like, what text am I putting on screen here? There's one trend, for example, that's popular that just uses a random music audio, but like it's someone pointing up at the screen and there's text that says three reasons why blank. And it's like the opposite. So for example, in this case, it would be three reasons why we don't need to help homeless children. <laughs> so they're like, whoa, what the hell? Right. And then basically the video just keeps looping forever. Like the music is like building up. Basically, you never actually get to it because there are, you know, there are no reasons why, because that's a ridiculous thing. And there's a lot of these things where you can just watch a video and understand what the trend is and just think about it for five minutes of like, how can I make this relate back to what we're doing? And honestly, you can probably churn out a bunch of those real easily. It sounds like this is too straightforward and easy, but at the core, these platforms are really based around these trends before you try to create really engaging videos that are you doing your own thing. That's not based on something that's already popular. You should try to do these first because no one's going to know who you are. And everyone's going to care about homeless children or like kids are having a, a rough time economically. No one's going to say, no, I don't care about that. But that might not be the thing that you're trying to watch in that particular moment. It's like when you're watching something on TV and then the, in the arms of an angel song comes on and there's a bunch of sad puppies or whatever, and they're asking you for money. I, I don't want to watch this right now. This is making me really depressed. It's the same thing on TikTok. Like it's not all just funny or whatever. Someone might get a bunch of videos that are all about home improvement because that's what they click on. So they're watching all these videos about people putting up wallpaper and then they get to this video and it's about, hey, this is a really serious thing that's happening in our community. And then people are like, okay, this is a death. I, you know, I already have an organization that I donate to, or, you know, I do these things in my daily life and I'm on this app to decompress from work or whatever. And I don't want to see this content. That is challenging because that is what your organization does. And you don't want to hide the fact that that's what your organization does, but you have to meet people where they are and where people are on this app is they're probably taking a break from something and they aren't trying to think too hard or feel a lot of things that they don't want to be feeling at that particular moment. And so, you know, comedy is one way to do it, but yeah, following these trends is one way to get people to watch it just because, oh, this is a trend that I like. Interesting. This organization is on here. Especially if it's a local thing, because TikTok is actually pretty good at showing you local things because they know where the video is uploaded from. And so they'll, they'll show it to other people in the area. That's probably less likely on YouTube shorts. Maybe it's more of a thing on Instagram reels, but I know that TikTok in particular is really good at showing you stuff that was uploaded by people locally. So you can use that to your advantage. But yeah, before you try to do anything, honestly, I would just look at what's trending and do that and don't save it for later because some of these trends only last for like a couple days. So it's kind of awkward if you upload something that was a trend from two months ago and then people are like, what the heck? First of all, it's not going to be shown to people because that's not trending anymore. Second of all, they do see it. It'd be like this person is so behind. It's so old. This was like two weeks ago. But if you do want to do something creative, going back to what I was saying before, you need a hook or something to get people to keep watching or showing something that gets them to keep watching, not a sad puppy usually, you know, then when you find something that works, basically just 
repeating that until it stops working. I'll do other things as well at the same time, because you don't want to just burn people out on that kind of content. But honestly, these platforms do break the mold from a lot of other platforms for like, don't just keep doing the same thing. Like there are whole accounts dedicated to very specific things. I mean, that is kind of the case on YouTube too, but like there are whole accounts on TikTok where they have a hydraulic press and they're crushing stuff. And every <laughs> single video is that. And obviously Thank that's you. not what you can do in your organization. But if you do do something original and it's it's like something that you can templatize, that actually goes really well on these platforms where people are like, that's oh, so I want to see the same thing over again in a different way. Because a lot of people are on these platforms to decompress and stuff. A lot of people just want to be on there to watch it as you would watch a comfort TV show or something like that. Right. Just because your organization tackles some serious topic doesn't mean that you can't create something that works in that format. I'm trying now, while I'm talking, to think about specifically for like a local org. I, I forget exactly what you said. What, what is it, like an after-school program? Yeah. It, it, and the reason why I gave that is because that's like a lot of the types of organizations that we work with. There are some that are maybe more like non-regional or local or maybe national, but most of them do have kind of like a geographic location or a community that's very confined that they're trying to figure out how to use these platforms for. Mm -hmm. That one is challenging because it depends on what relationship your organization has with like if you're helping stuff, you definitely don't want to be using children in your video who you're helping, making them hack stuff out for you or whatever. Right, uh, because right. Netflix, because that's dicey, right, ethically and stuff. Yeah. And that's a little more challenging. And but I think you gave some great advice. Like the first thing you said was, who are the characters that you can use, obviously, you know? I think that's really interesting because we do train a lot of teams too. So maybe the comms person is focused on a training with us, but they are trying to work internally around content. They might ask other people who are not really the marketers on the team to still help produce some content, right? Like to write a blog post or give input on their e-newsletter or something. And so now they're asking them, can you also maybe record a thing or two for us every quarter, you know? And so I think that is interesting thinking about like the characters in the story of your brand or of your cause and the mission. And thinking about how those players can kind of keep showing up on the platform. And then I liked how you talked about starting off by just looking at what's trending and working with what the algorithm is already pushing out there. And I think that's one thing that's really helpful in some ways for people who are maybe intimidated by the content creation part where they're like, this might take a lot of time. I don't really know yet what our message is or what's our tone and our voice and all of those things where it's like, maybe you just start by looking at some of the music that's trending and start, you know, finding a way to kind of integrate what you talk about into those things that are already just trending. So I think that's really helpful. And I also yeah. think... Yeah, it's like, okay to do what everyone else is doing. <laughs> you know? it's yeah, like, if you're, like that's not a bad thing. You're starting a YouTube channel or whatever. You don't need to be the next Mr. Beast. You're not <laughs> trying to be the best YouTube creator in the world. Or yeah. But I also like what you talked about with the template too, and thinking about if there's something that does well, and it's kind of like our thing, and it makes sense for what our message is, it's getting wheels turning for me and some of our clients and people who are in our coaching group, as well as for ourselves at Imagine Pod. like, is there something there that might be interesting? But it also makes me understand more what you're saying, 
around content, like the ASMR types of content and those channels where I've never really personally understood it. I'm like, so you just want to watch someone playing with slime. You know, it's just kind of weird to me, but I get it. Like you said, people are there not because they're necessarily wanting to find a cause that they can start to join and get all passionate and upset about something, but they're trying to relax. They're just scrolling because it's a thing to do in their downtime. They really are just looking at what's interesting, what catches you know their mind at the moment. So I think that's also really important to understand where people are at when they're using those platforms. I personally follow a ton of people on Instagram that are producing really detailed Oh, not documentary style in terms of how it's produced, but like detailed data and history and context around racial justice issues. And I find that those are really interesting because I'm learning so much, but I'm still doing it maybe at 11 a.m. when I'm nursing my seven month old or something. And I'm not necessarily like trying to find the next nonprofit to support, but I like to follow people who are still talking about really important issues and are educating me and are talking about things that aren't necessarily always fun to think about because it's intriguing to me. And I feel like it does add value and it's in these short clips that I can like kind of consume and then move on. So I think that's also really helpful too for nonprofits just to think about where are these people coming from when they're looking at this. And so I think that also shows that if you want your organization to be on TikTok, you might need to be a consumer of content on TikTok to figure out how to run a channel on TikTok, right? And these channels allow you to fail consistently and multiple times and get through that failure really quickly, which is a weird thing to say, but like, hey, there's less pressure for every post that you make on there, basically. And if a video doesn't do well, it's like, okay, let's just move on to the next thing and see what works. I definitely don't want it to sound like I'm saying just do really vain, silly stuff because some people might right. be like, well, I don't want to do that for my organization. And like, it's not all that. That's not all that there is on there. There's a bunch of people who are really popular talking about like racial justice issues or like feminist issues, or, you know, LGBTQ issues. And that is their niche. And there's actually huge audiences for that. And there are people who want to see that. And maybe their cult beat isn't that, or maybe it is. But if it is, and you know, that is the expectation they come onto when they're getting on the platform, like, oh, well, this is usually what I'm showing. So I'm going to see someone like that. You do have to be cognizant of first sauce. Who are the other players in this niche that I'm in? What are they doing? Are there a lot of people? Because not every topic is going to have a large enough audience to do, hey, we're talking about this today. The way that you're talking about it still has to be interesting. <laughs> I'm right. like, oh, there is a piece of racial justice history that you may not have known about yeah. or how this bigger moment in history was actually really led by these people in our movement and people don't actually know mm-hmm. about that. That's not the story that you usually hear. So there are like entertaining stories and videos that you can make that people, you know, will want to watch. What I am trying to convey is that the traditional sort of nonprofit stump speech type thing that you hear at every rally, if that's the kind of organization you are, or like the emails and like SMS messages, like audiences are really smart (laughs) by this point. They've been seeing stuff from nonprofits for the last 20 years of like what nonprofits are like on social media. And social media is not this brand new place that people are trying new things at anymore. Like TikTok might be, 
But I think a lot of organizations are still in the, oh, the digital era is like this new thing. There's already an existing way that organizations post stuff on Facebook and, and Twitter and all these places. And by this point, most people who it has reached are like even just subconsciously aware of that kind of messaging. And they're so done with it. Like, ah, I've signed up to 15 emails from different organizations that I really care about. And now I actually am annoyed every time I hear about this organization because I get so many emails from them. Or like, I'm so done with getting these political texts or whatever. People are just so overwhelmed with this stuff now because everyone is doing it and everyone is doing it in the same way. And even if you're doing this like very interesting, different way, I don't want that in my inbox anymore. I don't care how interesting it is. The same thing honestly can happen with video. If you're regurgitating that same type of messaging that you did on all those things that people are already accustomed to and done with, then you're not going to be successful. Whereas when someone sees something that is relatable, they're making more of a personal connection to a person at that organization. That's different. And I feel like kind of new, I definitely would suggest that if you are starting a TikTok account or YouTube shorts, you have a couple of people or one person who's in every video or is the person that makes the videos or the people who make the videos so that people can make a connection because that's going to be their introduction and connection to the broader organization. It's a lot harder on these platforms that are very one-to-one, -one. like you're seeing a person doing a thing or saying a thing. It's a lot harder for them to make a connection to an organization rather than to a person at that organization. Someone's not going to be like, oh yeah, I love following Earth Justice on TikTok. You know, they're going to be like, oh, I really like this person who works at Earth Justice who makes really entertaining TikTok videos uh, about this issue. Or, you know, they make me laugh or I always learn something from this person. So I think we've covered a lot of territory and you've given some really great strategies. So one thing I'd love to know from you is what do you kind of envision is the future? I mean, obviously you might not know exactly where these platforms are all headed or where the algorithms are headed, but I'd love to know if you do have any thoughts on those things and if there's anything in particular that you would want people who are trying to start to build audiences on these platforms to know about in terms of where you think things are going, so they should be prepared for it now. Yeah, I think we're probably gonna keep seeing short form video grow. I don't think it's going to replace long form video, but I do think that it's actually a great thing for nonprofits and similar kinds of organizations because it is so challenging to get someone to sit down and watch a longer YouTube video, for example, even if it's four minutes about whatever it is your organization does, it's just hard <laughs> because it's not what people are generally on YouTube for. They're making very intentional decisions about what to watch. And so even if it's something they might enjoy, they might not know that they would have enjoyed it if they clicked on it. So they're not going to click on it. People have a lot of preconceived notions about what they want to be watching when they're going on YouTube. The great thing about these newer platforms is, and like, I think this is where things are going in the future, but there's more algorithms deciding what you might want to see and trying to understand what you want to see and then showing it to you and less of you making a choice about what you want to see. I mean, you're making a choice insofar as like what you interact with more than other things and the algorithms are just going to 
continue to learn, oh, maybe they want to see this kind of thing. It is tricky because those same algorithms we've learned, for example, like TikTok did have their hand on the balance and did not just have an algorithm do stuff. Like they actually have a person be able to decide we want this person to get more views because this is the kind of person that we want to represent TikTok. So like there's a lot of that stuff. I think in general, what's good for organizations is that they can, rather than think about how do we get people to decide to watch this thing, it's like, how do we get people to keep watching this thing when it's shown to them? How can we make content in such a way that fits with the kind of content that is recommended to people, which is a little different than the way that things have traditionally been done because recommended means something different on YouTube or traditional other social media. This literally just shows up and you're watching it suddenly and you have to decide whether to keep watching it or go on to the next thing. And that can be terrible if the messages that are being shown to people are terrible, but in our case, they are good, positive things for the world. And so it's actually great for more organizations to be on these platforms. Really all you have to do is try to figure out what do people want to see and keep watching and how do I get people to keep watching? which is a huge barrier to breakthrough for an organization. Because like I said before, even though a lot of people care deeply about certain issues, it's not always what they want to be doing every moment of their life. If it was, then they would be working at your organization, right? They would be one of the fellow people who like, that is what they do all day. But you don't have to worry about how do we make our organization sexy or whatever and get people to come to our website and all this stuff that is so hard, it's so hard to get people to care about or take an action on something that they already care about, you know, whatever it is. In this sense, you're actually meeting people where they already are and showing them something that they're already used to seeing, but now they're learning about your organization instead of something else. Hopefully that makes sense. I do you think that algorithmic content is going to be way more of a thing than the old school of showing you stuff based on what your friends liked and engaged on. Even Facebook is changing their feed from showing you, oh, you're seeing this because someone you know on Facebook left a weird comment on this post that you don't care about. <laughs> you're going to see less of that and you're going to start seeing more of, you're being shown this because you sent some signal at some point that this is the kind of thing you're interested in. When you join TikTok, for example, they start showing you a bunch of stuff that you don't care about and very quickly learn what you do care about. They're gonna show you a dance video followed by a home improvement video, followed by someone talking about racial justice, followed by a baby doing a funny thing or whatever, a bunch of random stuff. And some people might just be like, I don't care about this app. It's just showing me a bunch of random crap. But a lot of people are gonna watch and scroll quickly past the things they don't care about and keep watching and like the things that they do care about. And then the algorithm learns super quickly and starts showing you more and more of what you like, because it shows you so many weird, random stuff, you often have interests suddenly that you didn't know that you knew about. Like for example, you might think that you're not the kind of person that would enjoy watching someone playing with slime, but suddenly you see one of these videos and like, you didn't decide to watch that video. It just showed up and you're like, oh, this is really relaxing or whatever it is. And then suddenly you're one of those people. Audiences do get more content that they never would have decided to care about, but because it was something that was shown to them and then they engage with it, now they care about it. And that is actually great, I think, for nonprofits and organizations if they can figure out a way to do it well, because 
it's like a holy grail. Or I can get people who don't know that they will care about my thing to suddenly know about it and therefore care about it. Like that's awesome. And you don't feel like a person on the street trying to get random people to sign your petition. It's not that. <laughs> it's this thing of just being shown stuff that you may or may not care about and suddenly starting to engage with things that you didn't know you cared about, but now you do. It's pretty awesome as long as those things aren't terrible for the world. Right, exactly. That's one of the things that we always talk about is like how we can use the tools of the system to do moral and ethical things, or at least with that intention and finding where we fit into that as social impact organizations is tricky, but it's important. But this was really interesting. I really enjoyed learning more about your career, how you started, the work you're doing, how you got here, and then all of the strategic advice that you gave I think is so helpful for organizations, especially for the ones that are small. Maybe they don't have a presence in any meaningful way yet with short form and they're wanting to get started or for those that do and they want to figure out more and more about how they can use it to be able to build an audience and what's their real goal and think through that strategically. And I know that you do a little consulting. We're really excited for you to be training a few people in our community and our upcoming course. But if there are others who end up watching this, who want to get in touch with you and maybe get some more of your strategic advice for their specific situation, what would be the best way for people to reach out to you? You can email me at julian at futurenow.tv. You go to juliangomez.co and that will be my Instagrams and stuff like that. If you're interested in that guys, reaching out to me, probably email would be the best. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time and for all of your advice. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun to talk about all this stuff. <laughs> At ImaginePod, our mission is to democratize fundraising and marketing resources for diverse-led nonprofits and social enterprises. In order to do this, we provide coaching, peer-to-peer -peer learning, courses, and a network of consultants to help you effectively bring in more money and support so that you can increase your programming and impact more lives. We've built a strong community of women-led teams leading the way for traditionally underserved causes and communities from around the world, across sectors, causes, and even continents. If you're looking for coaching, training, and a support network to help you build your mission, then reach out to us at hello at imaginepod.com to set up a consultation.